If you're looking for a way to help birds or take your support to the next level, this May, I would love for you to join the Birds Canada Birdathon. It's easy to participate in and helps raise thousands of dollars for bird conservation. Learn more at birdscanada.org slash birdathon. Now let's get to the episode. You're listening to The Warblers, a Birds Canada podcast. I'm Andrea Gress. And I am Andres Jimenez. Join us as we travel on common flight paths with our guests gaining insights and inspiration from the world of birds and bird conservation in Canada. Our two-part end-of-year special brings us to the coffee lands. For this first part, we speak with Dr. Ana González Prieto, a Canadian scientist born and raised in Colombia that specializes in researching the overwinter ecology of North American migrants. Or is it neotropical migrants? Well, of birds that spend their migration season in the Andean forest. With her, we discovered the link between coffee plantations and birds. We also explored the drastic difference between shade-grown coffee and bird-friendly certified grown coffee. We also explore the challenges farmers confront to make a living out of coffee and what birds mean for farmers. Hey Andreas, how's it going? It's going well. I am tremendously excited because I have booked my ticket to Costa Rica and I'm going to be, yeah, after two years, two years. <laughs> after two whole years, yeah. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, of not hugging my mom or my kids nor seeing their cousins and their grandparents, I'm going to be down in the coffee lands. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I've got holiday plans back to Saskatchewan as well, but that's not going to be anywhere near as exciting as your, your big trip back to Costa Rica. That's going to be incredible. I'm hoping to be, I don't know, making some soundscapes of sounds over there and the birding. I so hope to see so many birds. I bet you will. You're going to see stuff that has departed from Canada. Canada, you'll see them in Costa Rica. Yes, and I'll see them using the landscapes that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, it's going to be so cool. Yeah, this episode, we're getting into coffee and birds. And, you know, so many of Canada's breeding birds end up in South America at coffee plantations and the forests in those areas. I'm really excited to get into this subject because, I mean, love coffee, love birds. Let's get into it. We're going to be talking with Ana González Prieto, who is going to tell us how the birds wouldn't be able to make it without the ecosystems up here in the north or without the ecosystems down south. Bienvenida, Ana. Es un gusto tenerte aquí. Um, can you start by letting us know where you're tuning from? Hi, Andres, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm in British Columbia. I'm in White Rock. It's south from Vancouver and about 6K from the U.S. border. Thank you so much for joining us, Ana. It's a delight to have you here. Ana, can you tell me about your research in Colombia, what were the goals and findings and what do the results mean for conservation? So one of my main interests with my, um, in, my, in my research is, um, was to understand winter habitat ecology for uh, different species yeah, and understand what is happening during the wintering grounds, what is affecting these species and finding answers to what are the factors driving populations declines if those factors are related to, for example, winter habitat quality. When it comes to coffee and birds, what have you been researching and how did it start? Yeah, well, uh, I've been interested in birds and coffee for a long time. So I grew up in the Colombian coffee region 
and my grandfather was a coffee farmer. So I spent many holidays visiting my grandfather's farm. And when I became an ornithologist, I was shocked to learn how little we knew about the ecology of migrants outside North America. And this is why I was so interested in understanding what regions and habitats migrants use in Latin America for how long they stay there and how the quality of winter habitat, particularly shade-grown coffee and forest, uh, could affect them. So in my research, I compare shade-grown coffee and forest to see how beneficial uh, these two habitats are for migratory birds. So I wanted to know if birds had better physical condition in forest than in shade-grown coffee, and in which habitat they were more abundant or had higher survival. Anna, this is fascinating. You went back to Colombia to start researching the link between birds and coffee plantations, and your grandfather was a coffee farmer. And how does it feel to see this environment from the perspective of a biologist and a conservationist after you saw them as a kid? I think that it gives me the opportunity to see the whole issue from the researcher perspective, as you said, and also from the social family point of view. For people that are not from Latin America or that have not visited Latin America and that might not know a lot about coffee, coffee productions in Colombia, where Ana is from, and Costa Rica, where I am from, it's a big deal. In Costa Rica, this was such a big deal that our high school and school holidays, the vacations, the long ones that you guys put in, that Canadians put in the summer, we used to align those vacations with the time in which coffee needed to be picked. The majority of coffee is hand-picked. It's still highly dependent on humans and it's very unmechanized. And so November, December and January became months off so families could join the labor and go pick up the coffee. In the 70s and 80s, in Central and South America, sometimes uh, countries, Latin American countries, had their coffee exports to be 20 or 40 percent of their exports. And some of the biggest coffee producers in the world, Brazil, Colombia, and Peru, are Latin American countries. That's so interesting that you say that, Andreas, because I grew up on a grain farm in Saskatchewan, and I think it's kind of a similarly important industry there, the grain farming, right? So um, in September, when school started again, it was not uncommon for high school kids to get pulled out of classes to go help their dads with harvest. There you go. Agriculture was a big part of not only Saskatchewan, but Costa Rica. Anna, returning to birds and coffee, can you tell us where, how, and when is coffee grown in the tropics? Ideal conditions for uh, coffee productions are usually uh, found at mid-elevations, so between uh, 1,200 and 1,800 meters above sea level. And this overlaps with the elevation belt that holds the highest concentration of migratory land bird species in Latin America. And this is why it's so important to understand the impact of coffee growing on migratory birds. Coffee is grown mostly in the mountains and how coffee is produced depends on environmental conditions. For example, in dry and warm regions, usually shade-grown coffee is produced, while in regions with, uh, let's say, heavy cloud cover, high rainfall, and high humidity, coffee is usually grown without shade. 
It's hard for me to picture what this looks like. I've never been to Colombia. Could you describe what a coffee plantation is like there? That is a a challenging question. Like Describing a coffee plantation is a bit difficult because there are many kinds of coffee plantations. For example, we have sun-grown and shade-grown coffee. I would say that Blueberry fields in North America are similar to sun coffee plantations. In sun-grown coffee, there isn't shade. Coffee bushes are planted at a higher densities than in shade coffee, so production is higher, and usually the only vegetation in the plantations are coffee bushes. Shade-grown coffee plantations are completely different. So let's say the shade-grown coffee plantations where I worked had about uh, 40% of shade or canopy cover. So most of the trees were left from the original forest and a few others were planted. So coffee bushes were about two meters high. So high density and tall coffee bushes makes it quite challenging to walk around these plantations. Ana, thank you for that gorgeous image. It brought me back to Costa Rica. For those that are listening to us, sometimes a coffee plantation looks like a gigantic field, completely clear, and just with these little tiny green bushes. Well, not they're not that tiny. They could be actually my size or an average person height. But then others look a bit like the forest, and those are the shade plantations that Ana was talking about. But Ana, I need you to help me dispel a myth that we sometimes have. When it comes to understanding Central and South America, we tend to imagine this Discovery Channel jungles, right? We imagine these huge forests everywhere, full of snakes, which is one of the biggest myths, like they're so hard to find. And I want you to tell me, around the coffee plantations in the area of the mountains where coffee is grown, is there much pristine habitat left? In, in these areas, what does it mean for birds when it comes to their habitat and coffee plantations? Most pristine forest at mid elevations is gone, and it's been gone for over 30, 40 years in some regions. So the coffee region has a long and persistent history of deforestation, and that was driven by agriculture and cultural uh, pastures. So the landscapes where coffee is grown are highly modified and over 60% of natural land cover has been lost. So for birds, this means that winter habitat is limited and that in regions where growing shade-grown coffee is challenging, forest conservation must be a priority because remaining forest fragments are the best habitat left. We also need to remember that we have resident and migratory species that are forest specialists. They depend exclusively on forests. For example, we have the great chick thrush. This is a species that migrate all the way from the boreal forest to the Andes of South America, and it depends exclusively on forest during the winter period. So 60% of the natural habitat is gone. Wow. So all these birds, both birds that are uh, primarily found in South America, but also the ones that breed up in Canada and fly south for the winter, uh, don't have very much natural habitat left. And so maybe these shade-grown coffee can make a difference. Could you tell us the difference between sun and 
shade-grown coffee. And are there different qualities of shade? Yes, there are different qualities of shade. And so depending on the region, we can find a wide range of shade across coffee plantations. Some regions have no shade, like most of the Colombia coffee region. So most of the coffee that is produced in Colombia is grown without shade. And in other regions, we can find shade that varies from 15 to 43%. And 43% is the highest amount of shade that is recommended by the National Coffee Organization in Colombia. And there are some regions in Colombia and in Mexico, like, for example, the Chiapas and Oaxaca and other regions in Latin America where coffee is grown under the forest. But um, those plantations are not as common as a sun coffee. For our listeners, when we mention shade, we don't really refer to to coffee needing shade in order to grow. We're talking about trees. Every time we say shade, picture yourself under a 20 or 15 meter tall tree making shade for the plants growing below. This plantation could actually look a bit like a forest, but shade also sometimes, as Anna said, could mean poor quality shade. It could mean banana plants making shade. And so that's important to remember as we engage with this topic, that shade is different and that when we talk about shade is the need for trees. And some people might be wondering why don't we have shade in all the coffee plantations? Well, it's very simple. At some point, farmers wanted to increase their yields and they started cutting the trees so they could have more um, coffee plants in order to produce higher yields. Would that be a fair assumption or a fair thing to say, Anna? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, that was one of the reasons why the amount of shade was decreased in coffee production to have um, higher density and increase uh, um, yields. Okay, so given that some shades are different than others and some shades look a bit like a forest, we're going to start using the word agroforestry for these plantations that have the diversity and the structure of the forest. Are you telling me that your research suggests that some agroforestry plantations can be a survival area as good as some forest patches? Well, these um, agroecosystems, such as shade-grown coffee, are oases of habitat. That is how I would describe them. So we... Um, Across many regions, shade-grown coffee plantations are the only forest-like habitat that is left for migratory birds that depend on forests at mid-elevations. And um, based on the results of my research, we know that shade coffee with high canopy cover offers similar benefits to forests in terms of body condition and survival. So these agroforestry plantations are critical habitats in the absence of native forests. And this is why it's so critical to prevent that shade-grown coffee are turned into sun-grown plantations or worse, into cattle farms. One of our favorite birds at Birds Canada is the Canada warbler. Could you tell us a bit about your research with them? Yeah, yeah, Canada warblers, I think, is one of the most amazing um, uh, warblers. The first question that I had is, uh, we get Canada warblers across the three Andean chains in Colombia, and we wanted to know 
from where in North America those uh, individuals were coming. So we use, for that, we use stable isotopes to assess the origin of those birds. And migratory connectivity is uh, very important, especially for declining species, because uh, if migratory connectivity is strong, like we found in, with canal uh, warblers, we found that birds in the east we're going to the East Andes of Colombia, and we know that Easter populations in North America are the ones that are declining. So if we know that where populations in a steeper decline are going, we can focus our conservation actions. So we know that if we work on conservation on the ground in the East Andes, we are going to benefit the populations that uh, are going to benefit the most from those efforts. Anna, that's Incredibly interesting. That means if I am in Colombia, in the East Andes of Colombia, during the winter, aka the dry season for the tropical people, and if I am there and I see a Canada warbler in the East Andes, I can assume that this is a bird that comes from Eastern Canada. Yes, there is a high probability that that bird is coming from Eastern Canada. That is correct. Wow, and we know this from isotopes. And this is amazing because when I've seen migratory birds when I'm in Costa Rica, in my mind, they could have come from anywhere in the US or Canada and there was no way of knowing it. I think this is the right moment to explain a little bit what stable isotopes are. Most chemical elements like oxygen, hydrogen or nitrogen exist in two or more forms known as isotopes, which means that not all nitrogen is the same. There can be different forms of nitrogen, some heavier, some lighter. In fact, the lighter form is generally the more common one for most elements. The magnificent thing is that different environments are often characterized by predictable isotopic signatures. Let's say isotope fingerprints. We can use this to understand what animals have been eating and where, with the principle of you are what you eat. Anna analyzed the stable hydrogen isotopes in feathers from birds grown on the North American breeding grounds and sampled at multiple sites spread across three Andean cordilleras to understand where these birds were coming from. Yes, yeah, it's amazing that, you know, like for so many years, stable isotopes gave us the only way to infer the origins of these birds, right? Because like when we think about species like Canada warbler, they weigh 10 grams. They're very, very tiny. So they are very small to carry a device uh, that we can, like a tracking device. Mm. This also means that these eastern birds that are at risk here and that are suffering declines here um, will require those eastern habitats in Colombia as well so they can survive both in Canada and in Colombia. Yes, and so the, fir the first part is to make that connection between the climbing populations in North America and then where they are going in South America or elsewhere. And then the next steps in my research was, okay, they are going to the East Andes. Where in the East Andes? What is the elevation range that they are using? So we know that they are their peak of abundance around 1,500 meters above sea level. And then the next question was, okay, which habitats? So we know that they are in shade-grown coffee plantations and forests. Those are the most, uh, I would say, important habitats during the winter. And then we ask, how are birds responding to each of those habitats? Is um, 
forests better for them in terms of survival or their body condition during the winter or are shade-grown coffee plantations better? So those kinds of questions or and getting that kind of information is important for for management and to mitigate those threats, especially like the threat of habitat loss during the winter period. We'll be right back. The Warblers is a podcast of Birds Canada. Our goal is to bring you the information you need to discover, enjoy, and protect birds. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Birds Canada relies on the support of donors like you. To learn more or to make a donation, visit birdscanada.org. And if you give, please note the podcast in the comment box. Your research suggests that forest patches are twice as good as agroforestry plantations, and that growing coffee in the shade can compromise the yield, hence how much a farmer can make. So we need to support farmers so they can engage on a landscape conservation approach with better economic conditions. But I am left wondering, what about birds? Are birds good for coffee plantations and farmers? Yeah, they, we have uh, evidence for uh, from research in Costa Rica. Migratory birds are important to control pests within uh, coffee plantations. So, like we know that birds provide many um, ecosystem services, and one of those services is uh, pest control in coffee plantations. So migrants are beneficial for farmers and for coffee plantations as well. This is all so very interesting. Um, Coffee plantations are clearly, you know, if a coffee plantation is, is sustainably grown to have a nice native forest sort of habitat, it can be really quite an oasis for birds. But how do the Colombian farmers view this issue? So, yeah, these shade-run coffee plantations are like super important habitats, especially where there are there isn't like any forest cover left, right? So in those regions, shade-run coffee plantations is the most uh, suitable habitat for migrants. And farmers are interested in bird and habitat conservation, but we need to remember that farmers in rural areas in the tropics are one of the lowest income groups in the world. And so this means that there are key economic and social challenges to recruit farmers for bird conservation. So let's say that one of those challenges is the prohibitive cost of bird-friendly or similar certifications. Like those certifications have a cost, and there are so many farmers that can't afford that, even if they want to engage in conservation. Anna, and this is a, sorry to interrupt you, but this is a gigantic paradox that coffee confronts in which the farmers increasingly gain less from selling the coffee and the roasters and intermediaries increasingly gain more from coffee sales because coffee sales continue to grow, but it doesn't feel like the money is moving towards the farmers. Yeah, I, at least the farmers are, yeah, they are not, they are not getting enough, I think. Yeah, from it's like the, the premiums are very low, and in so many regions, farmers don't even have access to any premiums from growing coffee. Yeah, so this is a big issue because uh, I think we really need like certifications programs to really reassess 
if those premiums are enough to make real changes in the livelihood of farmers. Are coffee farmers moving to other products because they're not being able to make their living with coffee? Yes, they are. I would say the main transformation that we are seeing is that farmers are abandoning their coffee plantations and they are replacing them for pastures. Right? Like if they have cows in their farms, is lower cost, like lower producing costs and less maintenance and uh, more economic benefits. So some farmers are doing that or we know like from Costa Rica, many farmers, they change their coffee plantations and replace them by pineapple plantations. So that is a huge transformation in the landscape. So yeah, or avocados. Avocados are a new, a new problem at least in Colombia. I know this has been a huge conservation issue in Mexico, but this is quite new in Colombia and it's starting to happen in the coffee region. Coffee growers are starting to replace coffee plantations by avocado plantations. Oh man, I love avocados and pineapples and I know they're both really awful for the environment. At least Bird-friendly coffee is a thing, right? <laughs> I can uh, I can treat one of my addictions in an ethical sort of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think most people are more dependent on coffee than on, you know, like pineapple or uh, avocados. Yeah, I, I will totally give to up. I'm from experience. I've been to pineapple plantations and pineapple is a big deal in certain tropical countries like Costa Rica or Hawaii. And yeah, when you look at a pineapple, at least an intensive pineapple plantation, it kind of gives you the feeling of a desert. Um, it doesn't have nest material. It doesn't have insects. It doesn't have much for any creature. Yikes. So really emphasizes the importance of those nice natural coffee farms that can have habitat for our overwintering bird species. As a researcher, how do you see this issue and the link between conservation, birds, and farmers? For me, it's very interesting to see how conservation is linked to the farmers and that seeing like migrant resident species and farmers sharing the landscape is like one land and they depend from each other. So we need the farmers because they own the land to protect birds. And birds also link, need the farmers. They need the habitat where the farmers are living in. And uh, so making that connection and especially being aware of all the social issues and all the limitations and um, how vulnerable these farmers are, it gives me the opportunity to see the whole issue, you know, like a researcher that go into the forest and collect the data and measure the birds and track them to North America. I feel like it's very special making that connections with people and with farmers and understanding that we need them and they need us. We need to work with them if we want to preserve, preserve the habitat that is left and increase habitat for migrants during the winter. Understanding the social context is so important. Thanks for drawing that connection between researchers, science, consumers, and coffee producers. Anna, could you share what happened to your grandfather's farm? What happened to my grandfather's farm is happening to so many like other families uh, right now in Colombia and in Latin America. 
my uncles and my aunts, they weren't as engaged with the land as my grandfather. So they left and they went to the city to look for new opportunities. And basically my grandfather was the only one left at his coffee plantation. So he moved to the city when he was old and his land is being abandoned for almost 20 years. And the other problem that we had is as a family, and this happened to many farmers in Colombia. I said, we had a war. We have a civil war for 50 years. And 20 years ago, the town where my grandfather had his land, it was a bomb. So uh, that was one of the reasons why like, uh, many people left to the city. My grandfather stayed, but since, the, since then, no one from my family is gone back. Thanks for sharing that powerful story with us, Anna. It can help so many of us to identify with the reality of many Latin American coffee farmers. It also makes me so hopeful to understand how you embrace coffee farming in your own life through birds and high-quality conservation research. It also makes me think the barriers that many coffee farmers confront to make a living and to be sustainable. So Anna, what are some of the main barriers that need to be broken down so that you know these birds and their habitats can be valued and protected? Related to cons- like shade-grown coffee plantations and conservation, I think there is a low awareness by consumers and suppliers on environmentally friendly choices. So as we increase the awareness, we are going to the conservation of those habitats are going to be more effective. People usually respond very positive when they know how they can benefit birds or tropical forests with their actions, like including drinking a shade-grown coffee. So that low awareness is a huge barrier. And um, and I think this is a barrier um, across several countries in Latin America, and this is related to the ineffective policy, policies and inform, enforcements on deforestation. Because we have policies, but uh, enforcement is very poor across several regions. I think one of the other, another barrier that we have is um, time. Yeah, time is a, is a huge barrier. Well, I don't know if it's, it's a barrier, but how I say it is there is this lack of urgency on interventions before reaching a tipping point in habitat loss. So because we know and we keep repeating that we need to act now, but I don't believe that actions on the ground, especially in Latin America, are enough or that they are happening at the scale that we need to recover declining population. So that lack of urgency, I see it as a barrier, as well as the uneven recognition of wintering grounds as critical areas for populations. I think that there is still a lot of focus on North America, which is only 50% of the annual cycle of migrants. So when it comes to coffee and birds, what are the main lessons we can take away from your research? Well, we, we learn a lot about uh, overwinter ecology of migrants. But um, uh, some of the, our most important findings was that we learned that forest fragments can maintain over twice the number of birds than shade-grown coffee plantations. So an important lesson was that we need to recognize that farms under little or no shade 
could provide habitat for migrants in the form of forest set-asides. And uh, recognizing the conservation value of those forest fragments is critical in regions where, uh, let's say, uh, producing shade and coffee without compromising yields is difficult. So we really need to support strategies that provide economic compens- compensation to farmers for the conservation of those forest fragments. So in few words, I would say that uh, the lesson that we learn is that we need to start thinking outside the coffee plantation and consider conservation at the landscape level. There are so many reasons why we should care about uh, migrants. And one of the reasons is because in Canada, most of our birds are migratory and they spend over 50% of the year outside Canada. And so we know that iconic species like the Canada warbler can spend over six months in the Andes of Colombia. So in North America, we need to recognize that population declines of many species are linked to habitat loss and degradation taking place outside North America especially in tropical forests of Central and South America. That is one step. And we need international collaboration if we want to increase our effectiveness in recovering migratory birds. Because uh, research and conservation actions in North America alone are, I don't believe they are enough to protect these species. As citizens, we can be part of the solution for winter habitat loss by shade-grown coffee, and also by actively asking retailers and roasters to offer shade-grown coffee. We need to increase the uh, demand for this coffee. We'll be right back. How do you like your coffee, Andre? Cream? Sure? I like mine bird-friendly, certified. Then I have just the brew for you. Birds and Beans Coffee Roasters only use beans from farmers who keep the native forest habitat intact, growing coffee in the shade of a variety of native trees. That's good for migratory birds. Good for everyone. This coffee is even certified by the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center. It protects biodiversity, supports sustainable farming, and it's fur trade and organic too. Ah, not to mention delicious. Deliciously bird-friendly. If any of our listeners also like their coffee bird-friendly certified, here's how to get it. Order online at birdsandbeans.ca slash warblers. Make sure to use the slash warblers because that means birds and beans will also donate 10% of the purchase price to support this podcast. You can also use the link on your podcast player. Sounds great. Andreas, how about another cup? Let's do it. Wow. Okay, folks, you heard from Anna. Um... The farmers need the birds, and the birds need the farmers, and we need the farmers, and, and we need we're coffee. all yeah, we really need the coffee, and we're all part of the same landscape, and uh, let's work together on that, hey? Yes, and that is so easy. I think that yeah, that is the easiest way to help migrants. Just like drinking what we love. The Bird Friendly Coffee Certification is an excellent example of how in North America we can take action to protect winter habitat for migrants. And so we have discussed here that there are many kinds of shade-grown coffee plantations, but Bird Friendly Certified Coffee guarantees that our coffee is coming from plantations that have at least 40% of shade and that provide quality habitat for birds. 
So yes, drinking bird-friendly coffee is an effective and cheap way to contribute to winter habitat protection. That's something that I think I can do, you know? I can gladly drink more coffee if it helps birds. Yeah. I think uh, in Canada, we are so far removed from the realities of some of these farmers. Um, and, and I think just you've helped explore how complex and difficult it is. And we're so far removed from the reality, even though we're drinking what they produce with their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Anna. Beautiful. Thank you for having me. You heard it from a biologist researching coffee plantations and Canada warblers, and also from a Colombian kind of expert in coffee biologist. We can help birds by drinking the right kind of coffee. And this is a question that we're going to explore much further in the next part of this podcast when we speak with Kirsten Hill from the Smithsonian Institute about the bird-friendly coffee certification. The Warblers is produced by Andres Jimenez, Jody Allaire, Andrea Gress, Ruth, Friendship Keller, and Kate Dolwich. This episode was edited by Greg McLaughlin and engineered by Katie Jean, with the music by Jose Mora and art by Alex Nico. Until next time, keep burning.